The Dudes of Davy, we are back Monday, November 6th, about 1.30 Eastern Standard Time. We are excited. It's only been about 10, 12 days since our last pod. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, today, we have another special guest, first time on the pod. It's taken way too long to get him on. Uh, he is a Rangers diehard fan. He's a sports guru, if you will, in, in, in other ways. And I'd love to introduce one of my close friends, Peter Matsukas. How are you, Peter? What's up, dudes? Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Pleasure is, to uh, have you. Exciting. Thank you. My, my co-host uh, co here, Lonnie, is really excited to have another perspective on, especially from the Midwest. I am. Yep. I went to IU. Yes. Yes. I, I'm, I know this, Lonnie. This is actually very cool. I actually am an adjunct at IU now. Yep. Um, I did know that. And so I'm, I'm down in Bloomington once or twice a week. Um, love it down there. I went to Wisconsin another big 10 school in the yeah. Midwest. And that's sort of my foray into the, the Midwest. And I married a Notre Dame gal. So I married into the cult of Notre Dame. So I, I have a perspective, a New Yorker's perspective on Midwestern sports. I love it. Um, let, let me ask you a question. I am, Be, being yeah. at Bloomington this past week, what's it been like with uh, Bob Knight passing? Uh, you know, again, I, I don't, I'm not really walking through the halls of, of assembly hall typically, but I, the, the vibe is somber. You know, he's always, you know, lionized there as, you know, the man, the general, right? Like he was, he was IU hoops, three championships, five final fours. Is that right? Yes. And just a, just a, you know, a tradition of excellence there. So very somber in all of Indiana, like Indiana loves basketball. Um, so, you know, there were shout outs to him at the Pacers game. Um, you know, I know some people who played for him, um, so, you know, people were, were definitely feeling it out here. So yeah. it's also a generation thing. Like his way of doing business is long over as we know. So, yes, he, he wouldn't have lasted one day now, but, um, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it was actually amazing that he was, he was fired when he was, I, I was there back in 2002, I believe he was, no, no, 2001. And, uh, it was mayhem there. I mean, it was, people were like, uh, he only strangled that kid for like a second. <laughs> What's that bad? <laughs> Uh, so yeah, the times have changed, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. actually, I actually watched the replay of him throwing that chair. Yeah. I think I watched it like three or four times on the day that he passed. And I'm like, God damn, I do miss though the passion. Yeah. No, the people were like arguing like that kid, that kid like said something to him that wasn't nice. So like, it was fine that he picked him up and like almost killed him. <laughs> it was okay. He, he deserved it. Uh, anyway. All right, cool. So I think we should start out just talking about a few, uh, just a few things that are going on right now in sports. And then the theme of today's pod uh, coming off of Halloween is the most horrific, scariest sporting events we've ever seen um, just because those games were just flat out ugly. So we'll get to that soon, but let's start with, uh, let's start with the NBA. Yeah, so I, I figure, you know, we're about six or seven games into the season and you could already start to see the strength of the West versus the lack of strength in the East. But I guess, you know, Peter, would love to throw this to you. Uh, I know that you have a, a secret affinity now for the Indiana Pacers. So uh, despite my enormous dislike of that, uh, just due to the history with the Knicks and the Pacers, give us a little bit of insight on how you're feeling about the NBA in general and, 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 and your new uh, upstart young Pacers. Yeah. Well, my... 
my um, nine-year-old Leo is just obsessed. Uh, you know, wears every game on his sleeve. So we we have a we have a, a half of season package. So I went with him. Um, I guess it was Friday, Saturday night uh, to Pacers uh, Hornets, and I honestly I was just blown away at you know the Hornets are supposed to be terrible, and they were just balling out. I mean, they were unbelievable. Mark Williams from Duke. Brandon Miller was like running through guys. I mean, it basically shows how deep the league is. And I know there, there's been some talk of expansion, right? Every, even the crappy teams have awesome players, right? Um, and the Pacers have insane depth, so much so that guys like TJ McConnell, who could be a backup point guard on a contender, is barely playing. Um, you know, just incredible depth. Like guys I, I wish the Knicks had, like, you know, me too. Uh, Neesmith and Isaiah Jackson, like they don't play, you know? So it's like, I think the NBA is incredible right now. Kids are loving it. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of all in and it kind of resurrected my love for basketball after the Isaiah Thomas uh, reign of reign of terror, um, which really, you know, crushed our soul. Yeah. You, you definitely, I mean, look, I think a lot of us took a little bit of a break from the Knicks you know, being all in when, when that Isaiah tenure was, you know, midstream and it was killing everybody. But uh, it, it does seem like that the NBA probably has the single greatest number of stars that it's ever had in its history, which is saying a lot if you think about the history of the NBA. And to your point, the two new franchises, which do look like it'll be 2026, will be in uh, Seattle, uh, them going back for the Sonics, and then to uh, Las Vegas. So... It does seem like those two teams are going to be coming to the NBA in the next few years. And those are great locations too. The, those will be those will add a lot of extra energy to the NBA. I mean, Seattle needs a team. They were, I mean, th- that it was just the loudest stadium before they left. Um, mm. And then, obviously, Vegas. You know, you have to throw that in the mix now. I think uh, I think Vegas needs another team. Like I need another night in Vegas. Yeah, but but look, it's it adds to a little bit more of uh, of the allure of the league, uh, and then we're picking up stars like Wembenyama. We caught it on this pod. We said it would be a good first pick. I think that was our hot take. Uh, you heard it here first. Uh, but it, I mean, it's unbelievable. Like this guy really is like legit. You see him move around. He's he's going to be a superstar if he's not already. It's like unbelievable. Yeah, I really hope he stays healthy. I know I continue to say that, but like, you know, the history of big men in this league is not great. And he's got all the makings for an ankle turn or a leg broke. I mean, again, I really want him to stay healthy. I want Chet to stay healthy. I like the way Chet's been playing so far, too. Uh, I enjoy seeing some of these, you know, young big men. Even the even the center that the Mavs took from Duke mm-hmm. is playing way above his pay grade mm-hmm. and especially way above his projections uh, so I think it's right now, so far, it's been a really fun, you know, couple weeks and, uh, we don't really need to spend too much time on the Knicks cause there's honestly not a lot to say, uh, Julius Randall needs to go, but in any case, so, uh, we'll, t- so as, as my co-host Lonnie said, we are going to delve into some incredibly horrific beats in the wild world of sports. We're going to cross from, you know, multiple different sports from college to pro, but I think this is a, a great time to do this right after Halloween. Uh, you know, Lonnie was like, let's, let's do something ho- horrific. Let's talk about the worst feelings that these sporting events ever made you feel. And I'm like, you know what? That does sound great. So obviously we're a little bit sick, but we also thought that this would be fun. Uh, Lon, why don't you kick us off? Yeah. So th- 
this goes back uh, a while. I think we're over 25 years now. And one of the first things I thought of of a few others, but this one, when I thought about it even more, like changed trajectories of of careers, everything, and it was on a big stage. So Nick Anderson in the 1995 NBA Finals missed four free throws to seal the game in game one of the NBA Finals against the Houston Rockets. And for anyone who doesn't know who was on that team, it was Shaquille O'Neal, it was Penny Hardaway, uh, it was Nick Anderson, um, it was Dennis Scott. It was a, it was a really great team. It was such a fun team to watch. And it was hard not to root for them to win it. And they were up 110-107 with, like, almost no time left, right? And Nick Anderson's fouled. He goes to the free throw line. He misses two free throws. He gets his rebound, okay? He gets fouled again, and he misses the next two. The Rockets go down, hit a three, send it to overtime. The Magic lose that game and end up getting swept. Now, I'm not saying that the Magic would have won that series, but, man, that is crushing. And uh, Nick Anderson was a 40% free throw shooter after that. But it was just so painful to watch him just melt melt up there. Um, so I remember that clearly, and that was ugly. And I mean, like, I mean, I think you even said, you know, before we jumped on here, that it changed his career. Changed, yeah, changed, changed his career. I mean, mentally, he was he was broken, and Shaq never got back there. He left. You right. know, it, it, right. Penny Hardaway. I mean, the whole thing. It was they, they were an awesome team that year. The Rockets were awesome too. Like, I'm not going to take anything away from them, but. Yeah, I mean, you think about '90s basketball, that Orlando Magic team. It, it was was so much fun. Um, that Rocket team was not fun. We're going to talk more about them later. I think. Mm-hmm. I think maybe Rudy Tomtanovich may have sold his soul to the devil. Perhaps when he survived the punch from Kermit Washington in the '70s. <laughs> I don't know how how they. I was looking at some of those finals box scores, and wow. But we'll get we'll get there later. But yeah, I, I, I certainly was rooting for the Magic in 1995. It yep. didn't happen. Yep. No. All right. So, Pete, your your, your turn. Hit us. Hit us with some, you know, pain. <laughs> well, this is uh, specific pain to the New York Giants. Uh, you know, a lot of pain these days, but it you know pales in comparison. And the Giants, you know, they've won four Super Bowls. They lost one, and you know they shouldn't have been there anyway. But in two thousand two, uh, they played. Uh, I guess it was the twenty. 2001, 2002, no, maybe the 2002, 2003 season, they played the uh, 49ers in the NFC wildcard game. And this was in San Francisco. The Giants were just dominating this game. Kerry Collins was throwing bombs to Amani Toomer and Jeremy Shockey, and they amassed this 24-point lead um, where they were just, you know, people were despondent. Jeff Garcia was throwing picks. T.O. was mouthing off. It was beautiful. Um, we were watching in New York City at a bar on the Upper East Side, feeling very good. The Giants had, we, you know, they were upstart. Anyway, so things start to go haywire. Um, T.O., you know, generational player, started scoring some touchdowns. Jeff Garcia running around. They chip into the lead. The, the game is getting chippy. But eventually, the Niners storm back, take a one-point lead. And is, we're all crushed by this. But there's still time. Kerry Collins, the ghost of Kerry Collins, leads them down the field into field goal range for the game-winning field goal. Um, this happened years earlier, Miller, if you recall, when the Giants uh, 
beat the Niners stuff in the three-peat, 15-13. That was a big <laughs> one. But anyway, we won't get there. Uh, this was sweet revenge for the Niners because the Giants had horrible special teams all year. They signed this guy, Trey Junkin. I don't know where he came from, but he was 41, 41 years old. He was a long snapper. We all know what happened. He messed up the snap. Matt Allen, the punter slash holder, didn't know what to do. The kick didn't go up. He starts running around. He heaves the ball up in the air, and it's incomplete. And the game ends. However, they should have – they called a they called a um, illegal man downfield penalty on the Giants, but the referees after the game claimed that they missed the call, that there was also pass interference. And if those penalties offset, then they re-kick the ball. Of course, this didn't happen. The Giants lost. It definitely affected me more than others. Uh, it was a crappy game. It, it hurt. Yeah, I mean that, that was that that, that, was, that, was, that, was, a, that was a brutal one. That was a yeah, brutal and, one. And, and they, I guess, the next year they the Giants tanked, and that was kind of the end of the Jim Fossil era and the beginning of the Tom Coughlin era. So I try to take positives. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a negative guy. I'm gonna try to spin some positive. <laughs> so, that is a positive. That, that's a good yeah. spin. I love that. I love that. Uh, all right, so. I'm going to do my best to not be too verbose here, but I did some digging on my, one of the most painful you know, sporting moments I've ever witnessed and been a part of, which was Game 7, 94, Knicks-Rockets. And, I mean, anybody you mentioned this to who's watched the NBA knows pretty much what happened. The Rockets won the title. The Knicks choked a one-game lead going up 3-2 and heading into Game 6. But what everybody seems to remember, even my son, is that John Starks, oh, yeah, that guy who went 2 for 18. So I'm watching this game. I'm really, really upset. I don't really know what to do because I have no control over anything. And all I keep on saying to my dad is, just take him out. I don't understand. Just take him out. So he doesn't get taken out. He literally gets left in the whole game. And obviously, final score of that game was, you know, 90 to 84. So as I'm doing some digging and really opening up the wound, seeing some pus and blood, you know, come out of the wound, I start to read this story. And I'm going to weave this into the Miami Heat. I'm going to weave this into Pat Riley. Because for those of you who have never heard this story, I did not know this exact story until a couple days ago. So after they won game five, they're in the locker room. They're all celebrating. And I think it was, was it Derek Harper who was the point guard? Yes. Okay. So Derek Harper, everyone's jubilant, right? 3-2 lead. I mean, this is fantastic. You could feel it. So in front of the entire team, Derek Harper says to Pat Riley, hey, Pat, can we bring our wives to Houston? And Pat Riley says, no, absolutely not. And he said it in a, in a way you can only imagine Pat might have said it. So I think Derek was pretty perplexed. And so he asked him again. And Pat's like, I just told you the answer is no. So when you start to do a little bit more digging into this, you know, Pat Riley is an all or nothing person, not surprising. Mm-hmm. And but no, no example is better than the, the one I'm about to give, which is Dave Checkets, the former GM of the Knicks, was on the phone with his wife. And this was earlier in the season, talking about getting a new car. And he's like, you know, she's like, can I get this one? And he's like, yeah, it's fine. Get the green one. And Pat was in the same room during this conversation. And Pat looks at Dave and says, she can't get the green one. That's the Celtics. Dave looks at Pat and he's like, what? That's the Celtics. She can't get a green car. Fine. So two minutes later in that conversation... He's like, yeah, it's fine. You, sure, get the red car. Pat's like, she can't get the red car. That's the Bulls. 
So at that point, Dave Checkets is legitimately just shocked at, the, at this interaction and said, yeah, just get a regular car. Just whatever color, you know, doesn't correspond with any of the teams in the NBA. Just get a regular car. <laughs> so let's fast forward to now game seven. Now, I did read a lot about the fact that Pat Riley felt that there was one guy on his team that he could count on, and that was John Starks. No surprise that it was not Patrick Ewing. That's a separate pod. So John Starks was his guy from the get, but it sounds like, based off of everything I'm hearing and reading, that no one could understand why Derek Harper wasn't put into the game at that point. Like Derek Harper had had an incredible regular season, shot very, very well, was sitting there ready to jump, never got the call. Now, Pat apparently, now this is crazy too, years later, and obviously this is already like 29 years, so, but years later, call it five, 10 years later, Pat started writing handwritten notes to Derek Harper, apologizing and telling him to this day, that's his biggest regret. Wow. Not putting him in for John Starks. Now, obviously, that doesn't really do a whole lot for me or Peter Matsukas, <laughs> or the rest of the millions of Nick fans right now who had the one title in their grasp only to lose it. But I did think the background on that story is fascinating as you start to think about what happens after they lose in Game 7, right? Pat Riley basically leaves, heads to the heat, starts to build this, you know, dynasty, if you will, or just, you know, just starts to build stability, you know, in, you know, in the Miami Heat organization, and the Knicks just start to really just really, you know, look, I mean, the Knicks went on to, and then they had, you know, some other great coaches, Jeff Van Gundy, et cetera. But uh, it just really speaks to the little things, relationships, and sometimes the trust that you have in your players, you know, you know, something personally can impact you professionally and can impact, you know, one of the most important decisions you ever make. So I thought that was, a, that's a pretty bad that, beat. That, that's great. That backstory is, I never knew that. And, uh, and it shouldn't make anyone feel any better. <laughs> I think it makes yeah. me feel worse. Yeah, it might make you feel worse. Yeah, it yeah. Sure does. Ter- ter- terrible beat, but just real quick, you know, Patrick Ewing, I was looking at some stats as well. Uh, six of 20 in game six, Patrick Ewing. And Starks was really good in game six. They lost by two. Yeah, Starks. I mean, clearly, clearly, Elijah Wan was an incredible defender, but six of 20, he was owned in that series. Well, and if... And not to mention, it was a two-three-two format back then, right? Like it's so you know, a lot of things working against the Knicks. Well, what one thing I'll just add too is that so Starks had twenty-seven points in Game Six, and he shot fifty percent from the field. So Starks had a phenomenal Game Six, but this is another thing I, I almost left this out. So between Game Six and Game Seven, there were three days, and apparently the Knicks were so broken after that Game Six loss. Do you know that John Starks did not sleep? those three days. So, and, and it's funny, they, they talked to her, they interviewed Herb Williams too, you know, you know our, our boy Herb, and Herb's like, I'll never understand why we didn't fly back to New York for a couple of days. Spending those three days in Houston, listening to the media in Houston talk about the Rockets, the Rockets, the Rockets, the Rockets. He's like, we were just emotionally spent. So, a little bit more, you know, context to the fact that you know look it doesn't doesn't make me feel any better towards john uh you know i still i can't you know he drives me crazy and you know that game but i guess i i take a little bit less of the blame off of john and put a little bit more of it on the coach who who you know you run that team you run that team you know what guys get into slumps and they come at inopportune times you but you 
you can't give them too much leash to like actually hang themselves. So yeah, I, I do give. I I mean, John Starks is definitely culpable, but I definitely put it on Pat. Right. Right. All right. So I'm gonna give you another one, but I want to give an honorable mention, even though I'm I'm not gonna get into it too deep. But the uh, some that came to mind as we were going through this was um, Greg Norman's six shot lead go in the Masters going into the final round and losing. That was uh, that could be the greatest collapse in sports ever. Um, he now has a lot of excuses now, which are my back hurt and and so forth. But you know he was leading going into the final round. That one's terrible. Uh, one that I, actually really made me laugh was the Peyton Manning Super Bowl that they lost forty three to eight to Seattle. And what, what was funny about that is, you know, leading into a Super Bowl, everyone gets ready. They have their parties set up. They have, you know, people coming over. They get their food. It's a whole, it's a whole thing, right? It starts kickoffs like around 6.30. So what's amazing is that, like, everyone in America literally got ready for this game, and then 12 seconds in, it was basically <laughs> over, <laughs> which is just really funny. I mean, if, for anyone who forgets, there was a snap that went by Peyton Manning. He goes into the end zone, and there's a safety. Which is just, first of all, just having a safety in a game is is just such a long shot. But to have the first play, and then the game was literally over, like a half hour later, it was just over. And so, like by seven o'clock, everyone's just done. I remember sitting and just like eating pizza and watching something else completely. So I thought that was that was just a complete collapse, um, and it was just horrific. It was one of the most horrific games I've ever seen. That game legitimately was over. So much so that you actually stopped watching it. You stopped, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, everyone left. I was like, All right, get the hell out of here. <laughs> Let's, uh, I'm gonna go do something else, and that was it. Like Super Bowl was over, like in a half that, hour. That game was also it was also in the Meadowlands, so right. you know it, it didn't have the, the the nice pageantry of like a nice warm Super Bowl. It was raining. It was cold. Everybody looked miserable except for the Seahawks. So yeah, it was well, and that was I, forgettable. Sure. Yeah, and I was reading more about like how like the mass transit was just a mess because everyone was trying to leave so early um, that it was just it just caused all types of chaos through through the uh, subway system. So, yeah, that was a that was a good one in New York. I mean, the amount there seems of, to be a theme here. We're talking about New York a lot. The amount of money yeah. spent, the amount of money spent on those commercials. Oh, my God. I mean, I, I'd love, love to look up the viewership for the second half of that Super Bowl. It's got to be the lowest viewership maybe ever, ever. It was a debacle, but it was. It was a gross, gross game. <laughs> and the crazy thing is those Seahawks, those same Seahawks, should have won another Super Bowl, that exact same defense. You know what? Let's follow on to the next most atrocious thing, which was the next game that the Seahawks threw the interception. That, that was disgusting, too. It just, you know, it let, Seattle got it back, so like everyone's even now, but that was, that was gross, too. Extremely gross. Yeah, I mean, that was just, it was painful. I mean, as somebody who roots as hard as he physically can against every team from Boston, uh, that, that was a real emotional swing right there. That was, that was ridiculous. I mean, the, Patriots, the Patriots have really been on both sides of this. They've had pride-crushing losses, incredible victory. Like, it's just, it's all, it all balances out, right? So I guess that's the way we have to deal with that whole Patriots thing that happened. I would agree. Typically in sports, it does balance out. It does. Yep. Yeah. All right, so Peter, what do you got for us? Give us some more, you know, what else hurt? Okay, well, I, I'm going to save my, the big hurt until the end. And it has nothing to do with Frank Thomas. 
But uh, going back to the well a little bit with the Knicks, you know, not to beat this horse until it's totally dead, but um, the year before the Knicks made it to the final, um, they had the best record in, in the regular season. Uh, they were 62 and 20. They were the one seed and um, they were rolling. They, they, they traded Mark Jackson. They acquired Charles Smith and Doc Rivers uh, that season. Charles Smith was, they were trying to make him work. You know, he was, he never quite gelled, but you know, we had a lot of promise for him. And you know, that was the year. That was the one year the Jordan Bulls were not the one seed, I believe. They were the two seed. So they came into the garden. The Knicks had the home court advantage. 2-2, pivotal game five. Comes down to the end. It's there's some, you know, there's some confusion on offense. Starks has the ball, throws it to Ewing. Ewing starts dribbling, almost falls down, throws it to Oakley, who somehow throws it to to Charles Smith, and then Charles Smith up, misses, up, misses, rebound, offensive rebound, misses. Horace Grant has a hand in there. Scotty Pippen, Jordan, he doesn't go up strong. He doesn't go up strong. He doesn't draw the foul. <laughs> he just, they inexplicably keeps missing the putback and not getting fouled. And then that's it. They, they, they clear the ball. They beat Armstrong, lays it in, game over. They, the Bulls run out of there up 3-2, heading back to Chicago. And we were all just absolutely stunned because we all knew that the chance of winning game six in Chicago after that gut punch, you talked about being broken. Like, um, that was heartbreaking for the Knicks. And, you know, and Charles Smith became a pariah, honestly. Like, he was just run out of town. You know, it's funny, years later, I saw him on the four train. He was working on Wall Street. So maybe he just, he parlayed it. I think he was a smart guy. And he's just like, wow, that's Charles Smith. I wanted to say, wow, you know, I, why didn't you go up strong? You, you know, but he was, <laughs> he was like coming from Wall Street and, you know, making deals. But anyway, it was, it was horrifying. Miller, do you want to chime in on this? Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm really, I'm kind of still speechless. It's weird. Um, my hatred for Charles Smith, you know, continues to grow daily. It doesn't diminish. Uh, we knew all season. I mean, Pete, you and I used to talk all the time. How come this gigantic dude won't go up strong? Just won't go up strong. Just won't, won't take the body, nothing. And for, it, for, for the entire series to be on those shots, it just, it was criminal. It was just criminal. I mean, I think if you watch the highlight, you hear, you hear Smith up again, Smith rebound up again. And you're like watching it and you're like, oh my God, we just lost. We just lost the series. We just lost all hope of the 60, you know, 62 and 20 season going anywhere. And I just really hate him. I hate him so much. I can't even physically put it into words. I'm sure he's a great guy, wonderful dad, goes to wherever he goes to. But as a player, as a player, I can't even talk about it. I, I think you deserve a Twix here. Take one. <laughs> you just earned that. But, you know, it's just it's also historic. You know, it, it isn't so Nick centric because that really was the, maybe the closest any team came to knocking off the Bulls. I and mean, I know that the Pacers took them to seven in the final year. But, you know, the Knicks had the home court. I mean, who knows if the Knicks even, you know, beat Phoenix in the final. That was a great final. Barkley was, you know, MVP that mm -hmm. year. But that was that was that was the year. And then. So leading into the next year, we're like, wow, we got we we barely got by the Bulls that year in seven, 
Oh my God, whatever, the Knicks. But by the way, I, you just did a great what if, and I'll just play this out because I know Lon loves this too. Imagine had it been Ewing versus Barkley in the finals, wow. and one of those two guys would have had a ring. Yep. Both of their careers would have been viewed massively differently. Very differently. I mean, you know, I think I think I speak for all of us. We, we all we all are fans of Charles Barkley as a player. Yes. And obviously, potentially even more so as to what he's done post his career. Uh, you know, on on TNT and just in general as a, I don't know. I feel like he's a little bit more of a voice of reason amongst a a, a sea of you know extremists. He's real. He he's, he calls it as it is. There's no politics or any kind of you know, coming in from another side, a back angle. Oh God, what a good what if, though, Pete. Man, one of those two. That would have been a good series, too. The The Suns were playing great. They just happened to run into the Bulls. Yeah, the Bulls. I mean, Jordan had a couple great... But Barkley played incredible in that finals. Oh, I mean, yeah, was that amazing. was amazing. He was, he was amazing. amazing. He was amazing. Um, I'm going to close off the Knicks on this entire pod by just saying, when I was giving you the example with John Starks and the whole story of Game 7 and 94, it wasn't Derek Harper. It was Rolando Blackman. So it was Rolando Blackman who was begging to get in, and Derek Harper was actually saying to Riley, please put in Blackman. So just a little bit more context there. I mean, there was like a couple people who were like, what are we doing? Um, I'm going I'm to switch it. It's, this won't be as painful, but I think it'll be painful for plenty of people listening. So on October 17th, 2015, uh, my, my wife, then girlfriend, it took me to go see uh, the Michigan Wolverines host the Michigan State Spartans in Ann Arbor. Obviously, anybody who's ever been to any of these towns, honestly, Pete, whether it's Wisconsin or Indiana, I mean, these stadiums and these cities are, you know, all about their teams. It's an incredible vibe, the energy. Now, for this game, uh, Michigan was ranked 12th and Michigan State was ranked 7th. A lot on the line besides the bragging rights. Obviously, I don't really have a horse in the race. I went to Muhlenberg. Uh, I think our team freshman year was 0-10, and I went to every game along with the seven other people in my class. So again, this is a whole nother experience. The game is totally dominated, at least by the scoreboard. Michigan's winning the whole game, literally from, from the first second to the last second. We're getting excited. The crowd is going crazy. It's 110,000 people. And all of a sudden, it's a fourth down. And it looks like you know Michigan's got a punt. And I believe there was like 13 or 14 seconds left. And I was like, all right, I guess I understand the punt. I might as well also just run another play because Michigan State had no more timeouts. But whatever, you want to punt it, I get it. Punts are easy. At this time, Lori turns on her video to get the crowd's reaction, and they're screaming and yelling, and everyone's going bananas. And as she's videoing this, the punt, is the, the snap it goes back. It's fumbled. He tries to do you know, one of those makeshift punts. It's blocked. Gets right into the hands of the Michigan State defense, they run it in for a touchdown as the clock expires. The game is over. The final score is 27-23, Michigan State. And I'm standing there going, man, I'm not that upset, but whoa, I can't even imagine what all these people are feeling. Out of the 100,000 plus people, there was like 500 Michigan State fans, and you could hear them go, whoo, amazing, like across the entire stadium. <laughs> so you're actually hearing, there's it's so quiet, you could hear that. We walk out in silence. It was probably the largest funeral procession I've ever been a part of. As you're walking by everybody, there is no speaking, there is no talking. I'm thinking what's for dinner. I think everybody else is thinking, I'm going right home and going to bed, and they're just getting under the covers. 
uh, obviously completely crushed the Michigan, you know, hopes of a championship that season. And I mean, for me, you know, when you know instantaneously you're at something historic, I immediately walked out. I was like, oh yeah, this is going to be remembered for a really long time. So uh, I was, uh, that was, uh, I will tell you though, for anybody listening who went to Michigan and who's obviously, of course, a big fan of the alumni, that's one of the worst losses I think you could possibly have uh, given the circumstances, the timing and how it all happened. I, I remember, I think people talk about Appalachian State, which was, you know, a bad one. that was a bad one. And then I think there was like one other, uh, but, uh, oh, and then obviously Colorado, mm-hmm. Cordell Stewart. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, those are the, those are the big ones, but, uh, this one, uh, it was, it was enjoyable to be at just to experience history. I just, you know, I just can't even explain what people were feeling. That story never gets old, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> as a non Michigan fan, it's really funny, actually. Uh, it, I mean, that, that has all the makings of just heartbreak. That is, it's unbelievable that that happened. I feel like Ryan Day and Jim Trussell just send each other videos of it back and forth at Ohio State. <laughs> They're sure. like, do you remember that one? <laughs> I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. Well, because also everything had to work out perfectly. The fact that it went in the end zone and, and, it, and the fact that it was Michigan State. I mean, Michigan State is sort of, you know, you know the, it's the big brother, little brother, right, in the state of Michigan. Oh, yeah. To win that. Is, is huge. I mean, that's a, was, that's a blood rival. That's blood rival. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was my one where I was actually in attendance to experience the pain. It's a great mm. one. That's a great. So I don't have really, I mean, I have some Phillies ones. Like I have the Mitch Williams home run, which I've chronicled before, which was just that, that was one of the worst moments of my childhood, uh, which says that I had a pretty good childhood, but, um, <laughs> and then, uh, Honestly, this one's still a little fresh. It's still a little too soon is what the Phillies did the this season in uh, scoring three runs in two games, uh, being up 3-2 going home. That that hurts. I mean, that's just a combination of just ugly, and that's that's just for uh, a, a group of fans in Philadelphia. But, yeah, that's that's fresh, and that, that was painful, and that was actually right around Halloween too, so it was perfect. N- not for nothing, just if we want to spend two minutes on Philly. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know P- I know Peter will have his uh, two cents on this, maybe even a quarter. <laughs> uh, the amount of championship losses yeah. that the city of Philadelphia has yeah. had in the last couple of years. Yep. I mean, I'm not counting, but maybe I am. What I are your thoughts? I haven't noticed at all. <laughs> it's weird. Which games do you talk about? Oh, the Super Bowl that we had a holding call on um, that we lost at the end. The Phillies were so close. To getting the World Series, we had who else? <laughs> I can't even remember now. It's well, like, you got this. Obviously, the Sixers, Sixers. up three two in Boston. Yeah, right? but I knew they were going to blow that. Right, that everyone right. knew that. James Harden going into a game seven is like okay, it's, yeah, obviously it's a, it's a gimme. There's a gimme, and then um, yeah, I mean, we just we, it was it was a painful year. There, there's others. I just don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Pete, any comments on Philadelphia? This is your chance. Well. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to choose my words, words carefully here, but uh, it is surprising. Uh, well, not that surprising once the, the, the concussions came, but think about the flyers and Eric Lindros as well. Like, you know, the Legion of doom, that whole line was awesome. And then once he got hit by Scott Stevens, that kind of derailed that he was never the same. They never quite got over the hump. I think they made the cup once if, that, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the Eagles, they, I, Hey, Nick Foles, man. Nick Foles did it. What he are you did. Say? He I mean, did. They may they, they they may have lost last year on a, a bullshit holding call, but uh, or pass interference. But you know, 
Nick Foles, Philly special. You can you can ride that for a little bit. And you know they they're 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 I think they're the favorite to to come out of the you know NFC. So you're, you're still in it, Lonnie. You know you're gonna you're gonna get a few more. I think. Yeah, I mean the 08 Phillies and then the Nick Foles Super Bowl. That that at least makes us feel a little bit better. We can ride those for a little while. I actually have a really funny story. Speaking of how t- terrible Philadelphia fans are and how it sticks with people, so I, I actually met Michael Irvin uh, a few weeks ago, and he still has PTSD of Philadelphia fans. I, I saw him on an airplane, and uh, I looked at him. Nobody was recognizing him at all, and I leaned down. I'm like, "What's up, playmaker?" And he looks at me like I'm crazy, and then. Uh, I said to him, why are you going to L.A.? There's too many Eagles fans for you. And he looked at me in sheer panic. He's like, how many are on this flight? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, there's a few. There's a few. Don't worry. Don't worry. You'll get off the plane well before them. I was like, but you're going. I'm like, the Eagles are playing the Rams this weekend in, at SoFi. And he's like, oh, good thing I'm in and out. <laughs> it was great. So, yeah, we, uh, we, we leave our mark. Listen, the, the only thing I'll say is that when Kawhi Leonard hit that three oh my God. or that shot that bounced three or four times on the rim. That shot doesn't go in, right? The Sixers move on. Yeah, I think they, they, I think they have a really good shot. A really good shot. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, look, every city experiences pain. You see, the good news is as a Jet fan, we don't have those moments, guys. You guys are talking about the close calls in the championship games or the, or the next, you know, the divisional round. See, divisional rounds and championship games, we keep that out of our playbook. 100%. That's well, it. So it's funny that you mention the Jets now because that, that's actually what prompted this idea was it was last weekend or two weekends ago, the, the Giants-Jets game that was, that was so ugly. We were like, what are, what are some games that are just as ugly? Uh, I mean, what, there were 13 punts in that game? It was the ugliest game I've ever no, seen. No, I think it was, wasn't it 13 punts by one team? Just by the Giants. Correct. I think it was over 20 punts for the game. Right. I think that game was sponsored by Kohler. <laughs> that, game, that game was horrible. Yeah. But you so guys got the win, though, which is good. We, yeah, they got the win tonight, Jets, Chargers. We'll see how that shakes out. Um, I don't know, Pete, any, any other like horrifying beats? Anything that you know, stings a little bit that you'd like to share? Well, I, I do have uh, sort of the granddaddy of them all for me. Nice. On deck. Um, 2004 ALCS. Oh, uh, any New York fan, unless you're a Met fan, but any Yankee fan thinks about game seven of that series, but the whole series in general. Um, this pod was a terrible idea, by the way. This is a terrible idea. Yeah. Well, listen, anytime you want to, you know, come, come, you know, you need someone to like spew negative negativity, I'm your guy. That's I'm a master <laughs> of the that I can, I can go to town all day. Um, but uh, so just to, just to paint the picture, you know, the curse of the Bambino, the Red Sox and everyone. Oh, three Aaron Boone home run. You know, the Red Sox are just whatever. But, you know, that season, the Red Sox were common. Um, they, they won a key uh, regular season game, if I remember. Bill Miller had a homer. Anyway, I go to game one with my dad, and that game was a microcosm of the whole series. They were up by a ton. The Red Sox came back, but the, rain, the Yankees were able to hold them off. And so the Yanks were up one nothing, And then I think I just didn't want to stress. So I actually went to concerts and missed games two and three because I'm like, you know what, whatever. And the Yankees go up three, nothing game three. They bomb Tim Wakefield in Fenway. I think they won like 18 to seven or something. It was something ridiculous. So no team in baseball history has ever come back from a three Oh deficit. Red Sox are done. I'm going to watch this and enjoy this in my house. 
I'm living alone in a story. That was kind of dark days for me, honestly. So I'm watching, the, I'm watching my television and then the picture tube of my television, I realize it starts fading to black. So it's like, I'm watching the game and like, I basically watch games four, five, and six. The sound is consistent, but it just keeps going black. I'm like, okay, they lose game four in extra innings. Game five, the Red Sox are starting, and I hear that my, my neighbors are Red Sox fans. Thin walls, they keep going crazy when the Red Sox score. I'm sitting alone, watching mostly black because my picture of my TV tube is dying. Game six is the Schilling game, the sock game. I, I hate Kurt Schilling. So 3-3, three, three, they've come back. Surely they can't win game seven. We have Kevin Brown. Wait, Kevin Brown? Why is Kevin Brown pitching in game? The guy's over the hill. Anyway, I forget who was going for the Sox. I think I black, black. I think it was, it was Bronson Arroyo, actually, who was upstart and awesome. And we just got killed. I mean, we, they got to Kevin Brown. We brought in Javier Vasquez, who was awful. And Johnny Damon hit some bombs. And it was just historic. I mean, the Yankees lost. They, they blew it. They were the one team that blew a 3-0 lead in baseball. The ALCS changed history, propelled the Red Sox, three championships. The Yankees, it, it, the end of the dynasty, end of the Tory dynasty. Um, it, and honestly, on a personal level, I it got to a point where I'm like, listen, this is not fun as a Yankee fan. <laughs> if, like, if we have to win a World Series every single time, every single year, like, right. what is this? So right. I kind of like retreat from baseball, honestly. And I never came back. So no. it, it hurt me. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure you remember this, Peter. Each game in Boston was almost five hours long. <laughs> I probably chain smoked my way through solid two packs of Parliament, uh, Parliament Lights. My, par my apartment looked like a, you know, a, a speakeasy gone wrong. <laughs> and I, I legitimately, at the end of that, I had such bad heartburn, both from the cigarettes and from the pain and sting of David Ortiz. I mean, mm. I mean that guy just owned us, owned us. And listen, you know, I'm, Mariano Rivera is my single favorite baseball player of all time. The Red Sox really figured out a way to get to him. They just did. And uh, it, it really hurt. I mean, that one hurt more than anything. I mean, I don't know if you know, but I mean, me and Todd were at game seven. Yeah, so I'm, I'm aware. Uh, that game was pretty much over by the third. <laughs> we're looking at each other and, you know, Todd, Todd, Todd's pretty optimistic. And there was just, there was no optimism there. There's no optimism there. Oh, no, thanks so much. It's been great talking about all these memories. I'm going to go see my therapist yeah, after this. Yeah. Well, we got a lot of candy to eat now. I, I tried to actually spin it positively. I actually wrote a screenplay about the experience called Seven Game Series, um, which never got made. But it, it at least was like, you know, cathartic for me to write it. Um, because, you know, not to mention, it was uh, November of 2004. There were some presidential elections going on. There was a lot swirling around in that time. And I was just pissed off for like months. So, <laughs> Let me ask you a question though. But was seven game series better than Fever Pitch? Well, you know, I think so. But you know, I think Fever Pitch probably, you know, had that uh, probably had that lane. You know, so yeah. probably bumped me out of uh, contention. Had um, that had that Drew Barrymore character. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I I only watched it once. I oh. don't really know. I, 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 I'm, they, I'm sure. I think, were, I think they were at the 04 
World Series. They were on the field, right? They were like j- jumping around. Yeah, they, they were. Yeah, they were. Good for them. Oh my God. Good for them. Good memories. Alan. God, <laughs> nothing better than, you know, reconnecting and re- reminiscing with friends. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what do we want to talk about next time? Yeah. What's even more painful? Uh, well, I don't know. I thought this was great. I mean, the, the only other one I'll mention, but it'll be, uh, it'll be more like a footnote, was that, the, you know, the Oilers, Bills from, uh, what was it, 93, 94? Uh, no, it was 1993. Yeah, 1993. And uh, the Oilers are crushing the Bills 35 to 3. I'm 16. I'm at, I'm at some you know, event where I know nobody. So I'm, I go up to the bar and uh, I legitimately stood there for the next two hours watching the Bills come back without Jim Kelly, without Thurman Thomas. Frank Reich. With Frank Reich at the helm throwing four TDs. And they won 41-38 in overtime. That was unbelievable. Supposedly, Marv Levy at halftime, you know, obviously everybody's saying whatever they can at halftime, but Marv Levy's like, listen, you have 30 minutes left. So it's going to be up to you to decide what you want to do with those 30 minutes. If you want those 30 minutes to be the last 30 minutes of your season, then that's your choice. So, you know, look, I wish Marv would have won a Super Bowl. I think it would have made life everything better for, for the fans of Buffalo because I think they're great fans and they really, they, 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 they've, they've earned one even though they lost four in a row. But uh, that game, though, it goes down in history. That was the greatest uh, football comeback ever until 2022, which was the, uh, the Vikings comeback. So, but, you know, I, I just remember where I was being like, that. I can't believe I just watched this comeback. The Brady comeback was, what, 28 nothing, right? Oh, in the Super Bowl? In the Super Bowl, yeah. I think it was, was it 28-3? 28-3, I think. 28-3. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, I mean, that, I mean... I mean, that comeback is probably the, by far the greatest ever for any, you know, right. Super Bowl game. Considering the, yeah. the circumstances. circumstances. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 With, with um, the Oilers, uh, you know, four years later, they left. And I guess the thing is, Houston didn't want to foot the bill for a new stadium. If the Oilers make it to the Super Bowl, you know, if they win the Super Bowl, you know, what if what, what does that mean for the city? You know, are the Oilers still in Houston? You know, the Houston Oilers were a great team. Warren Moon was... Awesome. You he know, was the run awesome. and shoot. Like, hey, Haywood, like Haywood lost, Jeffries. Lost. Haywood Jeffries. Yeah. Yep. It but was ha- like lost to history. How does a Super Bowl and, win impact Warren Moon's yeah. resume? Yeah. 100%. No doubt. But you're, you just and made a great fun. point, though, Pete. How does it affect his resume? But what if it keeps the team there? Yeah. Well, and, and think about years later, uh, they're in Tennessee and the balance of sports with the Music City Miracle. Tennessee beating <laughs> Buffalo on that. You know, so there is a certain symmetry to it, right? There is um, some real symmetry there. The repercussions are amazing. Just thinking back well, on all of them. The, and the what ifs, the choose your own adventure yep. portion of these things yep. and say, well, what if it goes that way? I mean, it's amazing how many different things get impacted. So back to our theme, sports is pain and it's, a, and it's all <laughs> inches. That's it. It's very simple. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it, look, it's amazing. I mean, I know we all have kids that are interested in sports. Uh, but it's important for them to experience pain early <laughs> yeah. and often because sports is all about disappointment and, uh, and really how you recoup from that disappointment. Sp- speaking of which, your son is learning like slowly. My favorite was when we were watching the, the hockey playoffs and he's like, this game's over. It was like 40 seconds left. And you were like, what are you doing? And then they got scored on and that was it. Um, but, you know, just to get like little lessons, right? Until you get the big ones. These are all very important. I mean, obviously, you know, Peter, who has experienced tremendous sports loss on similar levels to myself, if you're Rangers and Yankees and stuff. But I mean, I think every, every fan out there 
has experienced the really bad beat mm. and what that does to your psyche, what that does to your fondness for the sport. Uh, it really, it really impacts it. And, you know, we talk about what ifs. I mean, I think the three of us are all what ifing if we were all six, five and had athletic ability, mm -hmm. we'd all be, you know, pro athletes. So that's a big what if. Yep. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Hey Peter, thanks so much for joining us on this pod. I hope you uh, I hope you join us again, and maybe we can talk some uh, some hockey. Anytime, guys. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thanks, Pete. Thanks for being here. Uh, you you uh, you had some great stories. Really appreciate uh, your contributions, and uh, we'll certainly have you back. Yeah, thank you for sharing your pain. <laughs> All right, have a good one. Take care.